Hi, hello, hi, how's it going? My name is Jay Bum, and this is the very first episode of the podcast titled, Oh Boy. The kind folks over at Man Repeller are giving me the opportunity to interview women working in various creative fields, artists, musicians, designers, um, filmmakers, you know, and women whose work I find very inspiring and interesting. And the goal is to find out who they are and why they do what they do. And I'm really excited because for our first inaugural episode, our guest today is Leandra Medine, the grand dame of Man Repeller. Um, I started making videos for Man Repeller earlier this year and immediately felt like I was working with kindred spirits. Uh, Leandra is extremely talented and smart and, and doesn't take herself too seriously, which are all important traits in my book. And um, for those that don't know, Leandra started the site, Man Repeller, in, in 2010, and she's on her way towards building an unstoppable giant empire. And I'm very excited to share this interview I did with her in my kitchen. So let's get into it. Speaking of like New Jersey, I mean, growing up in New Jersey, I was, you know, I always spent all my free time that I could like in New York, mm-hmm. you know, always just like taking the train in all the time. So I was always kind of like envious of kids who like, were from here. Who, yeah. Who got to grow up in New York. And uh, I guess I just want to know like what, you know, what was your experience like growing up here in New York? That's always a really hard question for me to answer because I feel like the only experience that we know are the ones that we have. Right. And so I don't even know what growing up outside of the city would be like, but I do know that I had a ton of cousins in Great Le- in Great Neck, Long Island. Mm-hmm. I was just about to call it Great Leck. <laughs> um, my mom is Persian, and her family moved here from Iran slash Italy in the late 80s, and a lot of those families, or a lot of the Persian community in Great Neck had similar like past trajectories, so her whole family's there. And I remember growing up, my cousins would call me, and we were, like, I guess in eighth or ninth grade, and they'd be like, why don't you come to Long Island for the night, and we'll get drunk in the basement. And I'm like, I don't know about you, but there's a new movie out, and I'm going to go see it with my dad, who's not going to make me use my allowance to buy a movie ticket or dinner. Yeah. So I'm staying here. Was it like kind of like a nose turned up kind totally. of scenario? There, I don't know if it was actual entitlement or just feeling like, I don't have to prove anything to you guys. Right. I'm not... And I'm not bored, so I don't need to get drunk in eighth grade. I didn't have my first drink until I was, like, 17. But just out of just being, like, stimulated by a million other things in the city or just, you know, taking advantage of everything around you? like I, Yeah, I think it was a combination of those things and the fact that my parents were never overbearing. Mm. You know, the first time I wanted to take the subway, they were like, great, take the subway. Get I don't on know that where subway. you're going, How but take you? it. How old were you? Uh, 14? Okay. 13? 14? Yeah. Okay. I was older. Yeah. I, I you should I have been able to take the subway by yourself. I was curious prior to then, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was four. I had just, just gotten on my feet, and I was like, subway, me. Sure. So I think that there, it was also, I shouldn't credit all of that self-comfort to myself. My mm. parents were pretty easygoing, strict in some ways, but easygoing in terms of making me feel like the world was mine and I could live it how I want to. I mean, would you consider growing up here like ideal? Yeah, I would love to raise a family here. I hope I do raise my family here. I just, I don't know, man, if the winters keep being this long and hard, who wants to subject a baby to that? The only thing worse than dressing yourself for the cold is having to dress a mini human for Mm -hmm. the cold. Yeah. 
and then and then undress them. Were you someone who would be getting into trouble like growing up in the city? Yeah. Were you a bad kid? Like what Absolutely was Absolutely not. I was such a little goody two shoes. <laughs> I was such a fucker. You're just minding your own business. I was all, I was totally minding my own business all the time and I feel like I didn't have This is going to sound so weird, but I feel like I didn't have my own opinion until I turned 21. Okay. I just I was what, an observer. What do, you mean, what do you mean by that? I'm I am a true writer. I was an observer. I was much more curious about what other people had to say and what they were thinking and trying it on for size. What was the most trouble you ever got in? Uh oh my god, it's I'll tell you, I went to a private Orthodox Jewish day school growing okay. up. And when I was in fifth grade, I was in the choir. <laughs> we used to go around <laughs> and sing Jewish songs. So where, just like on the streets? No, like, like at synagogues oh, okay, and like okay. old age homes. We would, sometimes we would like hold candles that didn't actually, weren't actually lit in commemoration of those who perished in the Holocaust. The yard site, like are those yard site candles? Is yeah, that what they're pretty, called? Well, so yard site candles. someone's past, yeah. right? Okay. Um, but pretty, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Flames for life. And we would sing these songs and there was this one song, this is a, a little bit of a digression, but there was this one song and the lyric was, it was about the Holocaust, and this was the lyric. For hush, it could have been you. Oh, my God. Which <laughs> was obscene. It could have been you. Yeah, and it took years for me to realize that as much as I, like, I used to sing that song in the bathroom, and my dad would be like, maybe we should just put her in Spence. That was the all-girls school. Spence, that was not I know Jewish. that. Spence was like the, the like, you know, there's like, Spence was the fancy yeah, private Yeah, it was the fancy school. school. Right. Mm-hmm. But so anyway... We were on a bus to one of these performances where we would uh, remind Jewish people that it could have been them. And uh, my friend Nathan had a can, and he was like, why don't we play Spin the Can? And I was like, "Uh, that game's called Spin the Bottle, and that is not a bottle, okay? This is what I mean by my regimented method of thinking. I was not an outside-the-box thinker at all. Or maybe I was so inside the box that it was outside the box. That's trippy, man. I, I actually think that the, I think that's the case. I do. I'm not like a big thinker. I'm like a very granular thinker. But I, I like turn things on their head, but I do it really well within the boundaries, you know? Anyway, so we're playing Spin the Can, and it's me and these two guys and this one other girl, and then there's another girl watching, and she's like, I don't want to play. And so it's my turn to spin the can, and I spin it, and it lands on this guy, Nathan, who brought the can. And he's my ex-boyfriend, right? We're At in, this point? Yeah, or, okay. mind you, we're in fifth grade, mm-hmm. and I broke up with him because the day before, yes, day, the day before he brought, um, he brought me a gift to school, and it was like a little... <laughs> blue fur dog and it just made me really uncomfortable I brought it in a Barnes and Noble bag and then I found out that he had like beaten up his younger sister for it and it just the whole thing was really uncomfortable and I was like I don't need no men buying me stuffed dogs okay that was an insult to you yeah it was a little insulting so I broke up with him and then this like can lands on him cut to holocaust songs this can lands on him and I'm like okay I'm not gonna kiss him on the lips but fine I'll give him a kiss on the cheek so I kiss him on the cheek Okay, we go, we perform, candles are lit. Back at school, two hours later, I get called to the principal's office. And I was like, oh my God, my mom must be here early to pick me up because I had never gotten in trouble. I had never been to the principal's office. And so I'm like, oh, I'm probably going home early. Maybe my mom's taking me out for lunch. Wonder what I did, right? And I'm taken into the rabbi's office. His name was Rabbi Rubin. 
And the people who were on the bus with me are in there also. And I was like, oh my gosh, are we being credited for our excellence in staccato? Where's my certificate? <laughs> but what was actually happening was he was telling us that the music teacher, she told on us, she, she saw that we were playing Spin the Can on the back of the bus, and she told on us. And so he said that we are all members of a Jewish school were too young to be playing such games, and they did not know that I kissed him on the cheek. They thought it was just for fun. Mm -hmm. But if they had known, I probably would have been expelled. But so they sent me home, and like I cried, and my parents were laughing. Did you have like a close group of friends growing up? So I had a group of about five girlfriends who I abandoned in seventh grade because these two girls moved to our school from Englewood, New Jersey, and they just like wreaked havoc on all us city kids. How so? They were just so dramatic. Their accents were really pronounced, like the and they were New always Jersey trying. Accent. And they were just always making fights. Like they'd walk into prayer in the morning and be like, and then you'd you'd like look at them and they'd look at you and you'd be praying and that would be it. And then like three periods later, you'd be like, hey, and they'd be like, I'm not talking to you. You didn't say hi when I walked into prayer. Mm. And I had never been exposed to this sort of oh, catty of, female yes. drama. I know it very well. I grew up in a town that was full of that. Right. Jewish American Oof. princesses. Jewish American demons, more like. <laughs> but anyway, so um, I woke up one morning when I was in seventh grade, and I was like, this is not the life I want to live. Exact words my mom told me. And I told all those friends that I didn't want to be their friends anymore, and then I, I found two new friends, and they've been my best friends since then. Since and, yeah, I relinquished my popularity at that point. You gave it up? Yeah. You weren't going to chase that dragon anymore? I couldn't. Mm -mm. How do you think your parents saw you as a child? So when... when my husband, A.B., was asking my dad for my hand in marriage. My dad was like, you're so lucky you get to marry her, not because she's smart or interesting or beautiful or has a compelling, evocative mind. Yeah, keep going. Because when you tell her, <laughs> when you tell her to do something, she does it. She's a good listener. And I was like, God, there's my Middle Eastern father <laughs> waxing poetic on his daughter. So my parents thought it was easy to raise me because they would tell me to do shit and I would do it. I'm a good listener. But were, were they supportive of the things you wanted to do? Yeah, they never stopped me from doing anything. They weren't like, we have a plan for you, we have this thing No, that we not need at all. Both of my parents are immigrants. My mom comes from nothing, and my dad comes from a similar environment where his parents were always like, yeah, whatever, be who you want to be. We're not going to stop you. Then do you think that's rare? Um, I, I think that if you ask my dad, he's a little bit resentful of his childhood as opposed to romantic about it. Like I, I loved my childhood. I, I think I have like the best parents in the business. Did you have siblings growing up? I have three brothers. I still do three have brothers. them. Mm -hmm. Older, younger? One is older, two are younger, but I feel like they're all younger. You, you have good relationships with them? I do. I have, very, I have a very good relationship with um, my older brother, which I'm starting to realize is because I have a very intense personality and he just does not. Mm. So he lets me be intense. My relationship with my younger brother is a bit more tumultuous, probably because we both have pretty strong personalities. And then my youngest brother is like just smoking weed he's still in that phase <laughs> you know that's a good phase to be in for a while i guess yeah, maybe i never really did drugs that's i mean that's so weird because i just always had this idea i guess my experience of whenever i would come to new york and hang out with kids that lived here like it was you know maybe you know a generation after like the kids era you know which we all watched and we were like oh this is I mean, Chloe Sevigny, man. This was, we, you know, we all thought it was amazing. Yeah. Scary, but like amazing. Yeah, I lived, I grew up in a different New York. 
You grew up in a very different New York. Yeah. What was the awkward time? Like, how do you define that? I think I'm in it right now. You're no? still in it? or yeah. yeah. I'm still waiting for my boobs to grow. That hasn't <laughs> happened yet. The awkward time. I, I, every, I think that every phase of life is awkward in some ways. But the those those like really hard years for me were yeah. probably like fifteen and to seventeen. Why was that? Why was that? I was just so angry. I was angry and I was hungry. I I the more I talk to people and the more I learn about people outside of the world I'm from, the mm-hmm. more sheltered I feel like I've been. See, that's funny though because you don't come across as a sheltered person. You I know have what an I mean? Mind. Like I feel like you can. Um, you're someone who strikes me as that you can. You know, you'll you can do well in any kind of crowd. Well, I think that's because I'm not judgmental at all. Mm-hmm. I. Um, Where does that come from? Neither of my parents were ever judgmental. There was never like, I don't know. I didn't grow up around racism or anything like that. Like all of the stuff, like that cookie cutter Upper East Side Republican family stuff, right. I did not experience. I mean, At all. Probably like, because my hear, parents aren't American. Your life just sounds so cut and dry, but I don't believe that it's like that. Like I just, I can't, I can't, I can't believe that it's that simple. I don't. I used to make my mom put me to bed every night, like until I was eighteen. Like, Seriously. Yeah, we would have a thirty-minute conversation before I went to bed every single night. I could not fall asleep if I didn't talk to her first. We would like talk about our lives. She became my best friend. And then once you do that to your mom, once you turn her into a friend, there's no turning back. She's no longer your mother. Yeah. You know what I mean? Do you regret that? Sometimes. Not always. What I've is- found that in the last like four or five years, she needs me more than I need her. Well, that's how it goes. Yeah. Looking back at that time, is there anything that you wish you would have done a little different? Uh, so I feel like when I think about this question, because I do think about it a lot, especially because when you're like a young person in business I want to say specifically a woman Mm -hmm. um you think a lot about the intersection of your you as a person versus you as a business person and I think that it's it's really really easy to criticize who you are when you operate in business to identify the things that you don't like about how you operate or the things that you do like and think about how to make things better and how to fix things whereas when you're trying to do that to yourself personally it's a bit too emotional Um, So being in business has, I feel like, really offered me this interesting opportunity to self-criticize in, like, a really, really constructive way. Currently now. Yeah. Right. And in doing that, I've been thinking a ton about my childhood and, like, the multifarious ways that my mom fucked me up. And, like, also the ways that my dad fucked me up and all of the things I have in common with my dad that I wish I didn't and all of the ways that, like, I saw him kind of screw up that I really don't want to recreate and and what are those things well I think that me and my dad are both just like kind of optimistic to a fault like go-getters until a point and then definitively lazy all or nothing individuals you you, know did you what did your dad do did he he work in like the arts no my dad uh was in jewelry okay he came to the United States my grandfather gave him money and was like I heard there's money and there's a good business in gold here take this money start a business and he was like okay so he did so it works down in like the uh like the yeah on 47th street yeah and he did really he has done very well for himself he like built a a viable business that is still here 30 years later right mm-hmm. I don't know I just compare myself to my parents so much I almost don't give myself enough room to be an individual to be Leandra as opposed to daughter of 
parent. Do you think that's the negative side effect of, you know, having such a close relationship or having such a kind of like insular experience growing up? I don't mean that you're sheltered. I just Mm -hmm. mean that, you know, everything was, it seemed to be kept like pretty close, pretty tight. Totally. I think that, yeah, if I could change anything, I, I probably wouldn't have allowed myself to become such close friends with my parents. Like I can distinctly remember my dad calling group meetings for the whole family to come into the living room to be like, all right, guys, well, this is what's going on with my business. This is the problem. Can you help me figure it out? Mm-hmm. Like, who trusts a 14-year-old to help you figure out a business problem? You know what I mean? And back then, I was like, wow, he really trusts us. This is, you know, I I felt it was so much power. And who knows if he actually used our advice. He probably did not. Right. But those, like, when I married A.B., I was just like, the lines of demarcation here, the intimacy between you and your parents is so different and so not emotional that it's almost kind of better because ab is like he is an independent fucker whereas i just like need all the tlc i almost cried when i got here jay i know i saw it was almost it was about to happen i was like oh boy here we go (laughs) in what ways has, has new york changed for you new york is a different place obviously but i mean you know how 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 do you see the change I feel like I'm better suited to talk about the changes of the last, like, five years because that, to me, feels much more like my New York. Like, I wasn't living in my New York before. I was living in my parents' New York. On the Upper East Side. Yeah. How long were you up there? Until I was 18. Okay. Um, I moved out for college, and I lived in Chelsea, which was awesome. But I, like, went through stuff with that. Like, I moved home. I have attachment issues. So I moved home. My husband, my husband who was in my boyfriend at the time, broke up with me, and I just, like fell apart while you were in school yeah where did you go to school the new school okay. eugene lang the new school for liberal arts oh eugene lang yeah eugene, they let you man. do whatever they let you feel it out down there yeah it was good i liked that school i think that lang is really special in that it teaches you how to think and most schools attempt to do that but don't actually do that it's it's loose right like yeah. they let you figure out figure out what you want to do yeah like i graduated thinking that <laughs> i was a man <laughs> Because they really, like, from day one, gender is a construct. Right. And I'm like, yeah, fuck these these labeled bathrooms. I'm peeing in the bushes. Yeah. I think the thing about laying is that if you're willing to pay the full tuition, you get in, period. Right. I don't think they reject anyone. Was that always, like, was that your plan? Were you like, I'm going to go to this? No, Well, no, I got rejected from NYU. Oh, really? Yeah. Me too. You did? Oh, yeah. Huh. Who were, who were your people growing up? You know, and by that I mean, you know, who are the people that you looked up to or the people that you wanted to emulate? Oh, I wanted to be like and my don't dad. say your... Oh. What? I was going to say, don't say your parents. Not my mom, because I was never into the, like, Susie Homemaker thing, even though she kept such a beautiful home. And, like, looking back now, especially, like, in the first year I got married, I was so in awe of her. I was like, how did she maintain the lives of four children and a needy husband how did she do that I can't even make my bed I was so impressed by it but growing up I I was it was just like this is not my life this is not for me um and I like I just wanted to be a business person it was just business always yeah but I like never knew what that meant you know I just like wanted to go into an office every day and wear a blazer that's that's like that's so wild to me 
I understand it. It's almost like being like, I'm going to go to an office. Because everybody's like, man, I don't want to like sit at a desk. So it's like almost like being like, no, that's what I want to do. Yeah. It's almost more rebellious than like trying to rebel against that. Well, I was also. Do you ever, do you, I mean, do you ever feel that? Or? I was, I, so I was, like my youth was, I feel like on the brink of this like very important moment in feminism when women were starting to take back the like girls night and wearing makeup and getting their hair blow dried you think about a movie like 10 things or um how to lose a guy in 10 days yeah that to me is like the epitome of the uh like tipping point of third wave feminism it's like we're gonna be women and we're gonna be women in the literal sense we're gonna take back the the girl Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. and we're gonna do that and be powerful about it and hold these high power positions at these fashion companies and like change our world if no one else wants us to change theirs then fuck it we'll do it for ourselves i i feel like i grew up wanting to be one of those women how did that kind of concept you know do you remember where that's seeped in from well do you know that feeling when you see something and it just feels right and gets you like really happy and excited and in a good mood yes like it just energizes you in a way that nothing else does Mm -hmm. all these like rom-coms and chick flicks about women who worked in fashion and like i never really cared about the romantic narrative but like the, the nuances of their careers and like their own apartments and the fancy shoes and the bags and the, the jackets and the going into work and like uh, calling their editors. And I was like, that is so cool. I want, I want to live my own life. I want to have my own life. I never felt like my mom had her own life, you know? Mm. Did you, you know, was that, where do you think that drive came from though? Because, you know, I think a lot of people who grow up a certain way, um, a lot of times it's, you know, the work ethic isn't there because they've just been, they've been given all these things. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of things have just come to them very easily. Yeah, but I, I think you can make that argument for people in the other direction also. You know what I mean? I'm not, I'm not, tr- I'm not generalizing. I'm just saying that that's a thing that can happen. Yeah, I, and it, it definitely is a thing that happens, but there are much more extreme versions of people who never had to work a day in their lives and are like incredibly high power, successful, smart, like making good use of their heads. Right. Well, and their opportunities too. Yeah. There's so much opportunity. Everyone thinks that they should start a business these days. It's like everyone is a founder. But just to to go back to what you were talking about with, you know, with like those rom-coms and those movies and just kind of like viewing them through that lens, you know, was Mm -hmm. there, you know, was that some, were those ideas that you formulated yourself? Was there you know, uh, a writer or a figure or someone who kind of opened you up to looking at the world a certain way or? Hmm. I, I can't recall. I think that it was just my exposure to television. Is that an okay thing to say? Yeah, TV's great. <laughs> so you saw, you would watch Sex in the City and you saw that as like a, as a feminist. Like yeah, pro, I was like, like mm-hmm, give me, like, I, I'll gonna have like, a Cosmo too. We're going to like do this. We're going to take it. This is ours. We're doing it the way we want to do it. Yeah. And yeah, we're living for ourselves. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I, I always liked that um, like sort of ironic take on feminism that I'm not going to... I'm not going to sacrifice things that I appreciate as a person to make a point. I'm just going to make the point because why can't I just fucking make the, a point and also like spend $500 on shoes that I don't have? <laughs> it you doesn't know? just have to be one or the other. Yeah. And I, that's my whole thing with Man Repeller is 
I don't I don't want women to feel like just because they're interested in fashion, their level of intellect is being minimized. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You could be incredibly interested in what you're going to wear tomorrow or what someone else wore the day before and then like walk into a board meeting and kill it. Right. Well, that's that's what I really kill it like with a gun. (laughs) What I wanted to ask you is like, is that, you know, what was the seed that started Man Repeller? What did where did that idea come from? Was there a moment where you kind of had an idea of what you wanted to do and you you didn't like articulate it fully? Well, I didn't start Man Repeller as a business. I did it while I was in school. I was going to hand it in with my resume when I applied for jobs the following year. Um, I had kept a blog when I was living abroad in Paris and it was just like documenting my time away and when I got home I was like oh it was so easy to write for myself I could publish whatever I wanted and nobody no one um edited out all the funny jokes and curse Mm -hmm. words were you I mean were you trying to to be a writer yeah yeah and then how did that intersect with also this business drive I, well, I guess I didn't really think it through, right? I, I, in my head, I was like, no, in my head, I was like, well, I'm going to get a job at a magazine and go to an office every day and write at my desk. Right. I had this like very romantic idea of what a job looked like. But at the same time, I could never really see myself working for someone else. I always felt like my ideas were better than theirs and everything they were doing, I could do better. So it was, I mean, was it a grand scheme and just like, well, I'm going to figure out a way to make that happen? Or was it something that just... It has never been a grand scheme. I feel like Man Repeller is the happiest accident that ever happened to me. This is such a weird question, but what was the... Do you remember, like, what the internet was like back then? It seemed like something that was kind of wide open. Maybe people weren't paying attention to things as much. People didn't necessarily think of it as much of a, you know, viable thing as they do now. Yeah, well, what's funny about then is that I remember when I launched Man Repeller, the conversation was so much, oh, my God. Uh, digital is killing print, digital is killing print. And now, five years later, the conversation is very much becoming, is mobile killing desktop? Like, who's still using their desktops, right? And the speed with which things are changing in this day and age is so severely fast that it's, it's, like, almost scary. And I wonder why we're evolving so quickly because the thing that I keep coming back to, and I don't know if I'm going to be able to articulate this properly, but... Like, the consumer is always going to consume what is put out there for them. Right. You know what I mean? Right. So if, if it's like a junk food or a healthy meal. Yeah. yeah. If, they're only, if they're only getting that healthy meal, they're only going to eat the healthy food. Right. If there is no such thing as Haribo, they're, like, they don't even know what those cherries taste like. It's oh. a shame, but, you know, they it's just don't know. It's better not to know. But, yeah. then, but you think everybody's just getting the junk food. Well, everyone's getting the junk food. And also, like, why aren't... The, the broadcasters of this information, of these apps, of these developments, like taking it a little easier. Why are we all blowing our loads? I, uh, or maybe I that's just how I feel. No, no, I agree with you on that. It's so funny because I was actually, I was working at a magazine, I think, when you started Man Repeller. Mm-hmm. Because, and, and this is the funniest thing because I never worked a desk job. It was, um, I had made a movie and I had gone into like some weird kind of like, you know, something similar to like a postpartum depression, you know, when you live, sleep, eat and breathe something for two years and mm-hmm. then it's done and you're just like, well, huh, what, 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 what do I do now? Yeah. You know, and I wasn't, I wasn't making anything. I was just, you know, I was driving a van for like a documentary, <laughs> you know, I'd just sit in the van like while they were shooting. It was, it was, oh, and, uh, and then a f- friend was like oh you should apply for this job they need a video person for for nylon i didn't really know anything about fashion 
Um, I didn't really even know much about nylon, but I was like, all right, I guess I'll do this thing. And, and it was ultimately, it was great because it got me making stuff again and it got me, you know, it got me back in, you know, Mm -hmm. motion and just like growing and building and, you know, deciding what I wanted to take seriously. But I remember one afternoon in like the edit, there was like the editorial area. I remember people talking about this new site, Man Repeller, and people like debating it. And I was like, I don't, I don't get it. So like they, she wears clothes that guys don't like, and that's a website. But like, <laughs> that was like, that was like my only understanding of it. But it was so interesting to see, you know, from the inside, like you could see people were, saw that this was like, you know, something to maybe be a little aware threatened of. by and aware oh, of, Okay. you know, like that mm-hmm. this is the way things were going. Cause it was a weird time. Cause I don't think around, around that time, those things, man repeller, those things were just starting to form. So yeah, that's totally, that's what I mean about like, you know, like the, it, it, it was wide open and it's like almost like you guys kind of like set the pace in a mm-hmm. way. Do you feel that at all? Um, yeah. I mean, am I wrong? Is well, my, I, just, I have a really, I don't like, I have a hard time giving myself credit for anything. Well, just lump yourself in with the people that you want to yeah, get Yeah, there, there was definitely a pace <laughs> set in that capacity, but I'm not even talking about... Well, I'm talking about media a little bit, but I'm even talking about... I was just saying this morning, there are two kinds of startups in this world. The U- Ubers for X and the Warby Parkers for X. Okay. You know, it's like everyone's trying to be an Uber for like toenail clippers and yeah. shoe shiners yeah because like, like yeah like apparently getting razors is the hardest task <laughs> in the world it's so impossible right please deliver them to me save my life or or they're <laughs> warby parkers right it's like everything is direct to consumer so it's like right. thanks so much for the like direct to consumer bathing suit what am yeah. i gonna do with this you know or like the direct to consumer cheese i just i loved man my room growing up was just covered in like magazine clippings you know or just all the ads and you know from skate mags and like you know punk mags and stuff like that but still like you know i just you know they would do these beautiful photo shoots there was like advertising budgets to do weird things right it was so so great i really do miss that Mm -hmm. and i think you miss that you know you lose that like what you know? What I'm curious of, like what is in teenagers? What do teenagers like line their rooms with? They don't. Their now? rooms are their phones. Their rooms are their phones. Oh, that's so sad. It's different. I don't it's know. It's different. It's you're right. You're right. See, yeah, you got you got a better outlook than I do. I'm too nostalgic. I think. Yeah. Nost- what's the point of nostalgia? I guess. Okay. So I'll give you an example. The fact that there are no more video stores, mm-hmm. video rental stores, video rental stores were you know such an important part of growing up for me and like becoming you know who I am and and I would hate to think that kids growing up won't have that same kind of experience it's you know almost like a record store but for movies you know you have a relationship with the person who you're renting from you know they're recommending you to things they're opening you up to things yeah you know yeah, I get, I I do get that. But so it's just I, f- I just I just you know you can find that now. You on can the interwebs. I I'm sure you can. <laughs> I don't know. I just I, I I I hate the when we lose the physicality of things. To go back to to man repeller, you know when when you were doing it, when did it feel? When did it feel like it was an actual thing? Like yesterday. No, come on. <laughs> when did like when were you like? Did you have a moment where you're like, oh man, like this is, this is real. Uh, yeah, I think that probably around like two years ago when I when I realized that I was sitting on something and like thinking about hiring people and who those people were going to be and how I was going to grow this thing. I was like, 
what? I didn't have to have any of these conversations with myself before. And that's kind of what I was talking about when I walked in earlier. Mm -hmm. um, is just that like, I didn't start this thing because I was passionate about becoming like a founder or a CEO or anything like that. I started this thing because um, I had an opinion and I thought that I was the person who could share it best. And so the past probably like six months have been really interesting because I, I don't really get to do the thing that I'm like so passionately in love with anymore because there's so much more on my plate. So it's taking you away from doing the thing. Yeah, you love I mean, the most, it's not which, permanent. Which I know, is fine. But, what, but what is that thing? You know, just r run me through, kind of give me just like a rundown of you're writing this thing in college, you're writing this blog. When did people start reading it? When or when did I was really lucky. I, my readership started to grow almost immediately. How did that happen? I'm not sure. I like people picked it up. Similar, probably similar to the way that that conversation just happened in Nylon. You right. know, like someone found it, mentioned it. I know that I was in Nylon's newsletter at one point. Mm -hmm. Um, and it. Re I don't know. It just really affected my growth trajectory. Did that kind of, was that like, did that spur you on to be like, oh, well, I got to work harder at this or? Yeah, totally. It was very energizing. It, it spurred me on in a good way. I was really excited about everything that was happening and I just, I couldn't believe it. I never saw it coming. What's going through your mind when like things were starting to grow? This is so cool. Are they going to find me out? <laughs> are they, what, are they going to find you out as a yeah. fraud? Yeah. Because you thought. <laughs> it was like a lot of imposter syndrome. Which is, I can you, I can you, I don't know what that is. It's, just, it's like when you think that everyone is going to... It's like Sheryl Sandberg talks about it all the time. Imposter syndrome. When you think people are going to call your bluff. Even though you're not bluffing. But you constantly maybe... You like feel like a... I mean, yeah, I get yeah, that. Like sometimes, like, you know, like I, I feel like a fraud at what I do. Sometimes. I think a lot like of people... Like in my inner, my inner dialogue, yeah. you know? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Imposter syndrome. Yeah, okay, I get that. That makes sense. What do you think your place is in the fashion industry? Well, it's like if the fashion industry is a huge zoo full of tigers and lions and giraffes, I'm probably like one of the keepers. <laughs> what does that even mean? Remember the movie Ace Ventura? Of course. So I'm kind of like Ace coming out of a hippo's ass. Okay. <laughs> and that's how you fit into the fashion industry. That's beautiful. Yeah. I love well, that. Well, but also, I, I mean, to be honest, I do think that I'm a very honest and real voice. I'm a different, I'm, I'm a perspective that is very authentic in an otherwise pompous industry that, like, talks about things like Victorian eclecticism in relation to a pair of denim shorts. No, I know. It's like Whereas a, I'm like, they're, they're shorts that are high waist and, like, will probably cut your vagina in half. The thing that's so funny, not so funny, I guess, the thing that I love is that, um, you know, as a whole, people take themselves so seriously. You know, you're talking about, you know, using Victorian eclecticism to describe a pair of shorts. Yeah. You know, people are, you know, they're like, they're, they're taking themselves way too seriously. But, you know, since, since, uh, since I've known you, I feel that you're like the antithesis of that. And uh, you, you seem to be having a really good time as well, well. Yeah. I just don't think that you can take yourself so seriously. Like, you, no one gets out of this alive, mm -hmm. any of it. So, so what's the point? So when you come across that kind of stuff, though, what's your reaction? 
Like, do you get frust? Do you ever get frustrated? Do you ever get? Uh, I think it's intimidating, or it used to be intimidating. I-, I felt a lot of imposter syndrome at first. Like, I'd be at Fashion Week, I'd be in Paris, I'd be doing this, and I felt like I had to act a certain way, and I couldn't just be me, um, because I-, I wanted to respect the institution. You know, as much as as much as I like to make a joke out of myself, I am not trying to make a joke out of anybody else. That is right. like that is not my mo. I don't want to make anyone feel bad about who they are, and you know if really really serious is you let it be you I'm just gonna do me um so at first it was it, it was sort of like me pl- trying to play the game but I would come what home does that mean playing the game like getting dressed and sitting up straight and taking notes and uh like referencing 16th century art <laughs> um in your in like blog posts yeah stuff? like in my fashion week content it's always a little bit more buttoned up than my regular stuff but then in the last two years I was like Oh, if I were reading Fashion Week news, I would want to hear the stuff that I'm thinking, which is like, huh, that skirt looks a little like a fallopian tube. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So just more of like a real perspective. Yeah, a real perspective that's still respectful. That has a sense of humor. Yeah, I mean, sense of humor is everything. You know, you're having a great time and you're an important voice in fashion. Why, why do you think that's so rare? Well, because the standard has been set, right? And it's not so frequently that you meet someone or that you come across someone who's willing to turn on its head what has already been established. You know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, they say. Mm -hmm. How do you know if it's broken if you've never attempted to fix it? Right. Man, you are, you you might be like the, the secret agent, the secret punk agent. Secret agent man! No, it's it's it, no, it's true. I just I think I think a lot of people try to you know make it to the top of things by like playing the game that's already been set in place. Yeah. And the best things come from taking the opposite approach. I feel like what still inspires and, and drives you to keep going. New projects. Yeah. I feel like if people, someone said this to me once, and it really stuck with me. If we could bottle hope, the drug industry would be out of an industry. <laughs> You know, like all you just that energy, keeping that energy is so important. Finding that hope is so important. It is. It's it's um, and it's hard sometimes. Oh, it's really it's hard. So hard, especially when you've been doing the same thing for a bit. Yeah. So it's like I'm really excited about new projects, about building new ways to share the story, about uh, creating products that are going to resonate. You know what I mean? I feel like at the end of the day, it's really not about me as much as I joke that it is. It's totally about the customer, the reader, the audience. And I just, I like, I felt so different and weird when I was younger, mm-hmm. like in my normalcy, I guess. I, just, I felt very misunderstood and I was, I was like embarrassed and shy about who I was. I never wanted to tell anyone that like I ate boogers. <laughs> like I had this weird thing, like I sucked my thumb until I was 16. Look, we all do it. Like I liked the smell under my fingernails. I've never told anyone that. Um, And I just, I wish that I had somewhere to go where there were other people being like, don't worry, I don't wash my hands after I pee. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, that's just, it's all I, that's all I wanted growing up. And you never found that. No, so I made it. So you made it. And then in, in making that, you found all the other people that felt the same way. 
Yeah. And there's a lot of them. Yeah, we're such weirdos. That's the well. So that's the other thing about fashion is like it's this industry of outcasts. It's like all these art school nerds and freaks who felt so otherized growing up, and now they're being accepted into this new seemingly exclusive club, right. and they feel like they need to act the way they've been taught is is cool, right? Is the way to act when you're in like aloof. Yeah, cold. and yeah, cold. Cold is the magic word. Mm-hmm. What are the day-to-day fears and stresses? Oh my God. The day-to-day fears are, can I, am I actually going to get through this day? Am I going to be able to get out of bed this morning and do this? There is, I've, oh God, running a business is so hard. And I, I met with someone this morning and she was just like, you know, I, I just wanted to have breakfast with you and chat because I ran into you last week and I was just like, oh my God, that girl's just killing it. And look at me, I'm working in this job that I hate. And I was like, dude, we are probably experiencing the same amount of turmoil emotionally there's just a little more fanfare around my life like I don't hate my job at all I I very much love it but I like I wake up every morning and I'm like is is this is is today the day they figure me out like is this the day that we shut this fucker that they're just like they come into the office and they're like all right everybody out (laughs) yeah like they shut the studio down they shut the lights they take the computers like is today the day we finally fuck up what would that even like but realistically what would that even take like that's like do you think about no i don't think about what 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 failure would take what's wrong with you jay no but no i no i think that's a good thing that was a that was a test question and you passed <laughs> you passed great job what's your hope for like what your building will become i i want it to become a global voice for girls and women who feel misunderstood like I just want to be the place where they come and sit down and you know something really special about fashion and clothing is that it can make you feel really understood but it can also be really expensive so I I just I want to be like a big microphone for these women that's it that's it yeah like an interesting informed opinion that is for everybody I think that's noble. But the last question, you know, so when that girl comes up to you and says that, you know, what do you say to say to her? I say, you have to wake up every morning and think about the thing that's getting you out of bed. Because it's so easy for us to want to stay in bed. Mm-hmm. Think about the thing that's pulling you out of there. Think think about what that is, what, what excites you, what you're passionate about, like what energizes you. And then take that and turn it into something that is sustainable something that can become your life that's what i did right yeah like i i took i took what i thought was a hobby that could never become a job and i turned it into a job like maybe that was a bad thing because it's no longer an escape for me like walking into a store is no longer my relief but you get to find new reliefs that's the great thing about living in such a gluttonous country i think that's a great place to end it (laughs) leandra medine does anybody ever call you Funky Cold Medine? Nope, never, not once. Yes. <laughs> I almost didn't say it because I'm like, I'm sure people say that all the time. <laughs> Thanks so much. I haven't gargled in years. <laughs>